Welcome to the Sex Magic Podcast, where we explore the connections between sexuality and spirituality, the various cultures and traditions of sex magic, and conversations about everything in between, led by a coven of curious modern witches. If you'd like to follow us on social media, our Instagram is Sex Magic Podcast, our website is sexmagicpodcast.com, and if you want to send us an email, sexmagicpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Sex Magic Podcast. Today we are chatting with Morgan Clare. She is a Chicago-based visual artist and the creatrix of the Sluttest Tarot, which is an amazing deck if you haven't seen. (laughs) And we're really excited to dive into some really fun conversations today. Uh, Morgan, thank you so much for being here with us. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So... One of the things uh, that you just told us is that you were recently accepted to a clinical psychology program. That's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I'm really excited about it. Um, it's going to be uh, couples and family counseling. So that's that's as close as you can legally get to sex therapy because there is no uh, certification for sex therapy in Illinois. Huh. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, hopefully that'll change. But yeah, I I actually don't know that much about it, but (laughs) enough to know that it's, yeah, you can't legally get certified for it here. Hmm. So that'll be your sort of, sorry, felony here. That will be your certification, but will you be focusing on sex therapy? Yeah, so like, uh, I guess covertly, um, my theory, or not theory, but like, kind of maybe a pipe dream is like, I mainly want to work with men and like men's issues regarding sexuality, intimacy, masculinity, and all of that. Because like, if you can like heal one man, you make like a hundred women's lives better, you know? Like, so I like the idea of um, kind of starting at at the root of, of things instead of I don't know. I, I I always thought that I'd want to work with um with women specifically, but uh, as time's gone on, I, I really just want to to focus on men and and their experiences. That's so magnanimous of you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but really, like, if it's like if someone is pro- has problematic behavior, it's like if you can help the person with problematic behavior, you help everyone in that person's life. Mm, totally. Tell me here. And I'm always a proponent of taking the compassionate route. And I feel like anytime somebody's involved in something problematic and we're like, hey, I'm going to operate under the suspicion that you were just never taught and that you're not a total twat face. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. instead, someone's going to give you the opportunity and that someone is me. Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, I'm so excited to see where that goes and how your path unfolds. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your spiritual journey and where you're at now? Sure. Um, so my spiritual journey has been a pretty long one. I, I got into witchcraft at a very young age, like uh, eight or nine, um, in a fun way. Uh, but I also did sincerely believe in magical practice and I mean, I think I believed in fairies too. That's like, 
<laughs> another another avenue. Um, but I've been uh, practicing divination seriously uh, for about uh, six or seven years. Um, I started studying the tarot about 11 years ago, but I only really started taking it very seriously recently. Um, and specifically with divination, um, and also kind of the other like spiritual mental health practices that I've gotten into that I've, I've found really fascinating and kind of come to the same conclusion over and over again is kind of like this idea of like, everything is a reflection of you and therefore you're always seeing yourself and you're always seeing the, the most true thing that you need to see at all times, which is why, you know, like astrology and tarot and all these other things work and even therapy. Um, and so I've kind of like gotten to that point over and over again, which is like almost like flatlining of being like, I like where you're like, well, it, everything is like full of meaning and everything is meaningless. So it's like, where do you go from there? But um, I think for me in my spiritual practice, because of that, I, I've almost kind of stepped away from it. And, and just like, rather than like asking questions or seeking things, I'm just like in a, a very specific like, observer position. Um, yeah, like that's like the best way I could describe it. It's just like in a total observation. Like I'm not... Um, I'm not really practicing magic. I'm not reading myself. I'm just kind of trying to be like open to messages and, and letting things happen. Wow, that's so beautiful. So you're in a very observational season of your life. Yes, totally. Is that sort of what propels you to want to pursue the psychology route? Well, I actually um, have always been interested in it. Um, in undergrad, which is like, a century ago, um, I had a psychological focus to my studies. Um, I had a pretty, the subject or the, um, the degree I pursued is pretty open-ended. We could do pretty much whatever we wanted. And uh, I focused on um, sexuality, specifically um, women who have rape fantasies and uh, how and why that manifests, what it means. Um, and just generally like, uh, like violent sex and that how that's portrayed in media, how that affects people, uh, good, bad, whatever. Um, so I've always had a, a like very serious interest in psychology. And I also like at that time was like, well, I would love to become a sex therapist, but I always thought that you had to have like an undergraduate degree in psychology or a lot of prerequisites. And I was like, that's just not going to happen. Um, it turns out for the program that I am interested in, I actually did not need to have any prerequisites. So I kind of just had this feeling like I was, I wouldn't be able to do this and uh, just kind of convinced myself of that. Um, I think we all do that to some degree with a lot of things, especially something that's important to us. Um, but I finally just like asked around. I have <laughs> at that time, I also collected a lot of, uh, lovers who are psychologists. Um, and so mm -hmm. I've always, you know, kept, kept good relationships with, with people and, um, was able to tap my resources and see what's possible. That's awesome. So one of the things that you just mentioned, I'd like to kind of dive into, um, is that you were intrigued by people who have like rape fantasies. Uh -huh. um, so me personally, I don't think I've ever like shared this and this is kind of vulnerable for me to share this right now, but like my 
personal experience with sexual trauma like happened when I was in high school and I felt a lot of shame around having like fantasies about that experience when I was older and it was like why is this like turning me on and that's something that you know I think a lot of you know people who've experienced that before may you know have that similarity so I'd love to chat with you about that uh, first of all, thank you for sharing that. Thanks for being vulnerable. Um, yeah, that's actually very common. And that was what I kind of what I came to. And it, so when I was doing this, it was at, you know, kind of a, the Tumblr renaissance. It was like oh, 2000, yeah. 2010. I know. Well, it was so funny when, um, not funny, but like sad when everything with Tumblr went down is I was like, this is, this was my thesis. I mean, I, I literally wrote my thesis from Tumblr research. Like, uh, so I, I put out a thing on mine saying, like asking people to write to me if they wanted to about their fantasies. And I ended up getting like a hundred emails and almost all of them said pretty much what you're saying. And, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of them were, you know, very, very sad, uh, obviously, but there was this prevailing thing of like, yes, this terrible thing happened to me. And now this is how my sexuality is. But like, there's no, you know, and, and people have at that time, it's, it's really weird. Uh, I feel like, and maybe others will disagree that like sex positivity just in the past 10 years has like has evolved so much. And at that time, I felt like there was a lot of shaming um, and a lot of just misunderstanding. And a lot of what I heard from women was that they felt very ashamed of it and they felt like they were bad feminists. Like this this concept of like bad feminist was really prevalent. Mm. Um, but there, there was this thing um, that came up in my research over and over again which is the reclamation of a negative experience. So you get to write your own ending. Um, and I've, I've read that a lot in um, some work on by BDSM practitioners, people in that world from like the eighties, like Pat Calipia, people like that about the why violent sex, consensual violent sex is so powerful that you are entertaining your worst fears and your darkest moments, but you're doing it in a safe place. Mm. Um, so I think there's a lot of power to that. Mm. That is so fascinating. Like we're all sitting here with eyes like sauces. <laughs> I'm, I'm really curious, like this whole piece on sexuality theory is extremely interesting to me. And I'm wondering if, incest and kind of falls under the same categories as violent sex like could you speak on that at all if there's any intersection you know I haven't had anyone ever um why do I I feel like I I read something recently about someone talking about that for me personally I mean this was also like again like two 2010 was a different time. Like I had like my first daddy at that time and that was still like Mm -hmm. fresh. I know it's like, it's like, it's like hashtag daddy now, but like (laughs) 10 years ago, it was like not a cool thing. It was like gross. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think I've ever, I've ever experienced, heard from people or seen that kind of like reclamation of uh, like specifically incestuous violation. I feel like 
that is so I think because it's so specific and like I don't know I don't want to say something is more traumatizing than another thing certainly isn't um something I have experience with um but yeah I I haven't I haven't really heard of that much but I know that 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 is now like a socially acceptable fantasy so I'm sure there are people who are like diving into that and asking questions about it yeah, I'm a Scorpio rising, and I'm always just so curious about, like, why we're into the stuff that we're into. <laughs> I'm also a Scorpio rising. Oh, my God. Mr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something I wanted to point out, like, I believe it was the 80s. BDSM was still classified as a mental illness. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, the 90s, too. Um, it's so crazy to me that we're living in this time where we are so rapidly accepting these new sexual norms or they're becoming sexual norms and they were so suppressed for so long and like hey listeners if you use the word daddy casually think about all of the people like throughout history you know (laughs) don't know how far back it goes but who had to hide this like we're living in a mm-hmm. really powerful time you know like we're able to talk about this on a podcast yeah. Yeah. yeah that was um there's this really great article um i have this issue of skin to magazine which is like a fetish magazine that ran from the 80s and 90s mm-hmm. uh so it's this article by pat califia about madonna um in the 90s how um Madonna would like flaunt the BDSM aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And um, at that time, and I think this issue is from like 1996 or 1997, you could lose your job, you could lose your kids, you would be ostracized. And like people had to be so closeted. And what Pat Califio was saying was just like, this is like, you are a cultural culture vulture. And also like you are <laughs> essentially appropriating. And like, it's funny to think now of like, BDSM being appropriative because it is so socially acceptable and so in pop culture. It, it always has been, but very much acceptable. Um, and I don't want to say that's true for everyone's lifestyle or wherever they're living. Um, we, I can only talk about, you know, cities and communities that I know of. Um, but like, yeah, it is, it is like night and day. Um, and it, yeah, it almost seems laughable for us to think of someone going after like Madonna for wearing BDSM clothes, but like it really was, uh, it really was fucked up for people then. Yeah, Madonna was super controversial. Yeah, well, she just doesn't really care about stuff. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that. Bearing that in mind, how would you say, from your research and experience, that you think societal constructs around sexuality? shape our sexuality until we reach a point where we consciously choose to explore what we want for ourselves I think that's so individual um I think that there's always something inherently rebellious about choosing our pleasure and choosing what we want to explore because there will always be people in our lives who don't approve or don't understand and sex negativity I think as a whole is something that we can get closer to healing in society, but it's so personal because there will always be people who are going to be sex negative because it reflects back on their own insecurities or their possessiveness or something that's going on with them. So I think like it is always an individual struggle or triumph to choose our own pleasure and choose our own desires over what other people and what society think. Amen. (laughs) 
So something that we had kind of discussed uh, before we started recording that I would love to dive into is uh, celibacy. Is that something you're comfortable sharing your experience with? Yeah. And I feel kind of like a fraud because I really haven't done it that long or that often, but I am a huge advocate for it um, as a, I don't want to call myself like a retired promiscuous person, Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) but I experienced celibacy for the first time, like, I don't know, like eight months ago I did it. And that like, this will sound Maybe it won't sound that that weird uh, for some listeners, but I decided that like for three months I was going to not inter- even entertain having sex with anyone. But that is coming off of like, I don't even know, like 10 years of pretty much finding a way to fuck someone like sometimes every night, but, you know, at least once a week for it could like consistently, like the only times I ever didn't have sex were like if I chose it in that time um and I got to a point of just kind of layering not only trauma but misunderstandings and pain and confusion instead of ever like stopping thinking looking at things I would just be like this situation didn't work out I'm gonna get another one and oftentimes that situation that didn't work out wouldn't go away so I'd have like lovers just like stacking up who would never leave my life and then I would just get new ones and just kind of like have this menagerie of unhealthy relationships and some of them were amazing and some of them were bad but the ones I didn't wasn't able to even recognize my own behavior in any of them like I couldn't look back and be like that didn't go well because you did this or because you were drunk the entire time or whatever it is I would just be constantly like I used to call it like hitting it hitting the reset button And, um, this was definitely like a period of my life where I would say I was quote unquote, unknowingly practicing chaos magic, but I very much was practicing chaos magic. And I thought I had gotten to a point where I would be able to have clarity, self-awareness, um, rely on my intuition and make good decisions. And, you know, this is only a year ago, I ended up dating someone who was abusive and I was just like, wow, I thought that I had moved past this. I thought that my intuition was like on, I thought that like, I I knew right from wrong or like what I was doing. And, you know, I just realized I needed to completely stop everything. Um, and uh, with that was a, a lot of like, finally ending a lot of toxic relationships and like walking away from things, having to admit that I was, you know, nurturing things that didn't serve me and just being complete, like trying to isolate myself as much as possible. So I could only listen to my intuition and not listen to all the other messaging. Um, But I found it really powerful. And I think that that like specifically can really only speak to other people who are promiscuous or who rely on sex to make themselves feel better, a form of comfort a form of validation that, you know, ultimately just won't work. Um, And so I I was, I was really into that. And I, it made me very protective of my sexuality in a way I never was. And not to say that, uh, you know, casual sex or one night stands are devaluing to a person that is so individual, 
For me personally, though, I found that the kind of the way that I was going about it and the just kind of not having, um, not asking myself what I wanted and just kind of doing whatever uh, was really bad for my self-esteem and really aggravated a lot of those issues. And so now I'm like all about like (laughs) going on dates with someone before having sex with them and like taking time to get to know a person and all that stuff. And also, you know, practicing celibacy when necessary. And I always thought that was sex negative um, to do that. And I, my theory was always like, well, if I don't fuck someone on the first date, then like, what does that really mean? Like, am I trying to manipulate that person? Or is this some kind of like, like, I just thought it was some form of sex negativity. Um, but it actually is just being cautious if that's what you choose to do. So I, I would never expect myself, like, if you asked me five years ago that, like, to, like, any of this, I would be like, absolutely not. I will fuck everyone I want all the time. (laughs) So was it then a bit more about bringing more consciousness and mindfulness to your sexuality rather than necessarily just switching from one type of sexual expression to another? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um... And just having some quality control, I guess, because I would just get real upset with myself if I'd be like, I just fucked this person or had this experience and like that was not even like worthwhile or like that made me feel bad about myself. So it's like, I definitely am all about having a lot of sex, but I'm like only if it is going to be good for me emotionally and also physically. How has your spiritual practice shifted since approaching um, celibacy? I think it's like tied into what I was saying before about being an observer, where like instead of constantly taking action and trying to manipulate situations or have control or, you know, practicing so much, I just feel like so much of magic, even a manifestation, kind of tips into chaos magic, where it's like even the most with the best intentions sometimes when you're manifesting you're asking for something and you don't get to choose what you're going to lose in order to get it and so with both you know approaching my my sex life or romantic life and with spirituality I've really taken just a step back with everything and just been like I'm gonna let this play out like I'm not going to approach this person or I'm not going to push this relationship in in a certain direction. Like I just want it to play out and I'm going to watch what happens. Wow. It sounds like you're really just like owning your power. I feel that way. (laughs) I like, it took a lot to get here, but like, I really feel that way. (laughs) I'm just over here laughing because I had a real slutty early 20s. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I got married and it was like, oh, what? Um, so that was like a weird thing to happen in the time where I was really just like loose and free with it. But it was actually during a very short celibate time. So mm-hmm. I had gotten into a relationship with someone and it was really not working out and I was still having feelings and I was like it's okay if it's not perfect because that's where I was in my life at the time now I feel like there is no perfect but there's perfect for me and right now 
but yeah, totally. Else, and he was so great on paper, but something was missing. And then he decided to start seeing some girl exclusively, and I was like really affected. But it was mm-hmm. my pride. Mm-hmm. Oh no, pride has no place in love. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm going to take a big step back because this hurt Tony's heart, not Tony's heart. And I need to really separate the two. And that's what I met mm-hmm. my husband. And I think that finding a place of celibacy is just as powerful as finding a place of like, toeing it up. Because yeah. there's a place mm-hmm. where you find all of the stability inside of you. And so you're really just deciding what you need in that moment and that fluctuates. And so I just, I'm definitely a person who has experienced the power of celibacy and is going through like a sexual ebb currently. Mm-hmm. Like, taking over. Yeah, definitely. Are you are you still married? I am. I am. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna say I I got married too, but I'm not anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, gotta gotta try it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, to say it, be lying. Like mm-hmm. every day that I have to take anyone into account is hard for me. But yeah, you know, the, the exploration of even sexuality within my committed non-monogamy relationship like sometimes I'm like yes 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 and sometimes I'm like I don't know maybe you can just like rub my neck mm. <laughs> I'm into that yeah of course of course mm. so during the time of you really being like very discerning with your partners does that mean that you spend more quality time with you Oh yes, so much. Just, I'm actually I'm sick of it now. I'm like, I gotta <laughs> I did it for so long. Um yeah, I feel like that's a that's pretty much a reflection of the past two years. I was living alone and I was living kind of far away from all my friends and everything that I love and just really kind of isolated myself. But yeah, the past like two years have really been me spending so much quality time with myself and doing self-improvement and investigation and all of that stuff. And it's been really, really amazing, but I'm like, I'm finally kind of in the, the like spring awakening part of that process where I'm like ready to go out and have fun and, and kind of maybe, maybe take some risks. I don't know, some calculated risks, maybe. Mm. I like this. This sounds, this sounds very good. Like a big mm. predator. <laughs> and I, you know what? This is making me think because because I'm married. People ask me like for advice, and I explain to them I'm just a lucky guy, real lucky. Like I was, <laughs> I could not help anyone. But yeah, it's really important that you took the time where you weren't indulging in other people. Or, you know, indulging in parts of yourself that were maybe a bit self-sabotaging and explore everything. But when I give that advice, like, I'm like, hey, take time with you and, like, see about that. You see people get real dirty. Oh, yeah, because that's hard work. It's a lot easier to tell someone, well, you can, if you date someone who is XYZ and it's like, actually you can't control anyone or anything and you can date the most perfect person and it can still go to total shit 
especially if you're not taking care of yourself and not being like, yeah, you have to be like full with yourself. And, you know, that was really hard for me. Um, part of my, my, uh, journey was about my, um, problems with codependency and not realizing how, like, they're like, well, how can I be codependent? I'm like single, like pretty much always. And it's like, it manifests in ways that you don't, that aren't so obvious. And it's like, you have to be able to fill yourself up. You can't rely on anyone else to fill you up. And that is so hard. And it's like, yeah, it sucks. It's like, God damn it. Like I have to do that really. But it, I mean, it, it is the only way to make a relationship work, I think. Yeah. Mm. So how does codependency manifest without a partner? Because I, I think that a lot of our listeners can probably relate to this and also same, same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, definitely, uh, I would be codependent on friends, um, put a lot of pressure on my friends to kind of care for me and be there for me. Um, but also the dependency just on like, uh, like finding partners, having partners, keeping exes in the mix, which like, I I don't want to say it's always toxic, but like for me, it's like holding on to my exes and keeping them emotionally invested in me and sexually invested in me was like a way to stay full feeling. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, it would be like dependency on friends, dependency on ex lovers, dependency on new lovers. Basically like, I feel like when you are like starving for love or like love empty, you are just like grabbing at everything that you can and then holding on to it tightly. And it's just that it doesn't, you know, that just makes you feel emptier and emptier. So that's like my drop moments over here. (laughs) (laughs) So how does one integrate self-help, self-care into their practice so that they can shift that codependent narrative into one that's like fully embracing independence and love for themselves a lot of it from what I've experienced and read is so much self-affirmation and doing kind of like um like cognitive behavioral therapy where you have to like rewrite the scripts in your mind and you have to practice self-love really intensely and that can mean like waking up in the morning and giving yourself a pep talk about loving yourself Um, and also just being mindful of how you show up in your relationships, you know, like, are you, you know, behaving abusively or in a controlling manner with the people in your lives and like having compassion, like it, I know a lot of like, it's, it's hard to say this because people don't ever want to believe that they are not empathetic or compassionate, but a lot of times when you are codependent, you are actually like, like you have like compassion deficiency you don't you're not able to have empathy for other people and their lives and their experiences because you are so focused on filling yourself up and being okay and making it other people's problems Mm -hmm. and that that also goes back to my spiritual what I've you know been reading a lot in my spiritual practice is about how having kind of like a um also a full spiritual practice is acknowledging that other realities exist and it is how you can feel peaceful, how you can find your place and how you can be okay with yourself is in acknowledging that like other realities do exist. And it doesn't like, 
I think with codependence, it's like you oftentimes think that you have to manipulate a situation into being good or you have to stop a bad situation before it happens. You have to be like on top of all of your relationships all the time. And it's like, that doesn't actually work. And it's also not acknowledging the fact that these realities exist independent of you and also have their own life force that you can suck out. Um, But ultimately like having compassion is really the only way to get to a point of, of, self-love I love that so much I want to switch up a little bit I'm sorry if you're sick of talking about your incredible sliced tower but I'm obsessed with (laughs) (laughs) okay so first off this is one is like really just for me but am I way off in I feel like I get some really like dark kind of kinky Sailor Moon vibes when I use it oh yeah, I mean, Sailor Moon is, like, probably the most influential thing on me artistically, like, yeah, that, the back of it is, like, 100%, like, like, do you, are you a fan of, like, the manga? Yes. They're, like, a, yeah, so, I love how Naoko Takuchi does the little bunnies, mm-hmm. like, for herself, that's, like, her little, little me thing, I started doing that, and, like, that's kind of, like, I I love that and has always been kind of a signature for me, a totally stolen signature, but the like back of the cards is totally an homage to her and, and that very like specific, like kawaii kind of um, little baby art thing. Wow. Okay. That makes me so happy. You just literally made it. Um, (laughs) I guess the main question around your death is, one of the things I find so beautiful about it is the representation and diversity, like how it's not just a bunch of like cis white women, and um, particularly as of viewed by the male gaze, which I see like I'm a tarot practitioner myself, and I've seen a lot in tarot, even in you know definitions of specific cards. So mm-hmm. I guess my general question is, what was that very intentional for you? Was that organic? Why is it important for you to have that kind of representation in your work? Uh, it definitely was intentional. Um, I too have been like super frustrated with some really cool decks I've had. Um, there was this one from the seventies, it's called the, um, astral tarot. I don't know if you guys have seen it before. Mm -hmm. It's super cool, but the, the guidebook is like so sex negative and it's like the empress is like a good wife or reversed a like uh, you know, uh, like adulterous woman or something. And it's just like, really, is that, is that what that is? Like, there's nothing deeper that you could glean from that. But um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think a lot of people will look at the tarot and just be like, why is it just so like, I mean, we know why, but it's, it is very masculine focused and um, it, there is a place for women in a way that is, that is kind of troubling. And of course that's, you know, certainly not uh pamela coleman smith's faults uh <laughs> like that's like one what choice did anyone even have uh, but now we are in a place where we can create diverse works of art and there's there's always been a market for it but we've proven there is a market for it um and also it's like i've had a lot of friends and i've i've learned you know i've learned through mistakes about representation that people want to see themselves reflected in things. And like, I am a cis, thin, white, blonde woman. And so for me, I'm like, well, 
I don't have that problem. <laughs> like, so it's like acknowledging other realities exist just because I spent my entire life always being affirmed by everything that I saw around me. It's like, that is not normal. And it's definitely not the experience of, you know, the people that I love and, you know, the people who I value. And so I've, I've definitely learned a lot from the people in my life. And also just from being a part of the global community for, you know, sex positivity and, and all of that. Um, so yeah, it, it definitely was really important to include more people. And I, I don't think that I, I did as I, I still didn't do the best I could. Like there are, I could have made the representation much better, but you know, there's always a third time. Well, I love it. And I'm so grateful that you have created this beautiful kind of rich, diverse, sort of messy, creative, incredible expression for women to use that's sex positive and just wonderful and gives me these super hot BDSM. <laughs> for sure. I need to get this deck. <laughs> Kind of tangent, but similar. Sailor Moon was like the best role model for like little witches because she's like Dude, a totally. moon princess whose like emotions are powerful. Like, yes. So yeah, she cries all the time. Like, <laughs> like that is so relatable. <laughs> hmm. So kind of shifting back to, to what we were talking about before, though, I feel like tarot can be part of this. What are some like self-help practices? And I'm saying self-help because it's a little bit different from self-care um, mm-hmm. that you might suggest to our listeners who are kind of like, oh, I need to have that like intimacy with myself and practice some independence. Um, learning. um learning to have a better self, better self-talk, better conversations with yourself. That's something that was really important for me um, is being mindful of the voices in your head and not letting yourself go down negative tangents. Um, I have a tendency to have negative fantasies and I think that they, they're going to save me. And I think if I work through all of my negative fantasies that I'm going to be prevented from having these experiences instead of having positive fantasies, like in some superstitious way, it's like, well, if I imagine all the bad things, and I imagine them so clearly and like cinematically, then they're not going to happen. But if I imagine the good things, then those two will never happen. And that contributes to so much negativity. And it, it really like radiates out of you when you are just focusing so much on that. Um, and also just negative self-talk, um, which I am, I have been like, has really struggled with. And, you know, that comes from like narcissistic abuse and child abuse and stuff. But like when your narrative in your head is like, you fucked up, you did this wrong, you are like, you aren't worthwhile and no one's going to love you and all this other stuff. It's like, what whatever is true is irrelevant it's you are keeping yourself in a prison of negativity and self-hatred and it just doesn't do anything good it's like okay maybe i'm right that this person i'm dating it doesn't love me or isn't giving me love 
But what does me then piling on that to also not love myself do? It doesn't help. It's like if I if I cannot have that extra narrative and have a narrative of love and self-worth, then it's like, okay, I see this person doesn't love me or isn't showing me love, but I love me. So I can acknowledge that that is not right. But if you are constantly telling yourself that you're not worthwhile or that you aren't worthy of love or that no one loves you, then of course you're going to accept everyone else not loving you or treating you abusively. Mm. And that was like, it seems simple to just be like, oh, we'll just change that way of thinking. But it actually was really, really hard. And it took at least like six months or something of like really focusing on it, doing cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy. And just like having to be mindful every single moment of what thoughts I was having, because there we all have really strong tuition, but we also have that like fear-based voice that can speak louder than our intuition and that will drown it out. And that is really scary because then you don't know who to trust. Yeah, sorry, we're just taking this on. That's like, yeah, that's like Thank you for sharing that. We're all kind of shell-shocked. That's beautiful. So we're kind of coming close to the end of the episode, which is crazy because I feel like we just started talking. <laughs> um, we've been asking this question and I would love for, to hear your answer. If you could give your younger self some advice about sex, what would it be? Oh, man. Definitely love yourself enough to choose good partners. Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had that also. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good sex is everywhere, but like, yeah, you, you got to get it from good, the good sources. Mm. Mm. Some yummy advice. <laughs> Thank you so so much. Like this has been uh this is an episode I'm gonna be thinking about like for three days. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys. It's so good to be able to do this. Yay. Thank, Thank you. you so much. <laughs> um, is there anything you'd like to plug or share where our followers can follow you? <laughs> Um, so right now I just have Instagram. So I'm at Morgan Surain. That's uh, M-O-R-G-A-N-S-I-R. Can I spell E-N-E? I don't know. If, you know, you'll figure yeah. it out. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Hey there, Tosca here. So I wanted to take a quick moment to share with you all about how you can support the Sex Magic Podcast. If you haven't already, you should follow us on Instagram. We also have a Facebook page. Pretty much everything is under Sex Magic Podcast. You can also find us at sexmagicpodcast.com and we have all of our links there. But most importantly, we recently launched our Patreon and it's really important to support us because our collective of co-hosts offers a diverse perspective on sex and magic. Though we each come from various backgrounds and cultures, our unifying passion is to empower and explore sexuality, spirit, and the occult in a safe and approachable environment. 
Each week, we offer a new episode on a fresh subject in the realm of spirituality and sexuality. We interview a variety of guests from authors to psychologists to witches and beyond. We strive to share content that is educational, inspirational, and mystical. So join us on our journey through sex magic by supporting the work we do. Every dollar goes towards propelling us forward and will allow us to continue creating podcasts. By supporting our podcast, you'll join our community and be part of the conversation. Our Patreon patrons will gain access to various resources, rituals, recipes, and behind-the-scenes access. With more funding for our Sex Magic podcast, Coven can dedicate more time to crafting sacred offerings to our supporters, sex magic courses, videos, spell books, and we really would love for you to be part of our sexy little coven. So I also wanted to take a moment to shout out a few of the patrons we have so far. Shout out to Melina Beatrice and to... Meredith Andrews, thank you so, so much. And also a shout out to my boyfriend and to my mom. Thanks y'all for supporting, means a lot. (laughs) So follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, our website, and support us on Patreon. We love you and we want to continue offering these amazing podcast episodes and we're so grateful to do that and have your support.